music team for leading us this morning. I'm going to invite them to not have to stand up here for the whole morning service. Thank you, Pastor Jim. We are going to dive back into our summer series this morning. And in doing so, I'd like to talk briefly about Thomas Lenacre. One of the newer Oxford colleges is Lenacre College, founded in 1962, named after Thomas Lenacre. He's hardly known today, but in his time in the 16th century, he was the preeminent Renaissance scholar in England, court physician to King Henry VIII, founder of the Royal College of Physicians, and the honored teacher and friend of both Erasmus and Sir Thomas More. As a scholar and fellow of All Souls College, Oxford, Lenacre was well-versed in both Greek and Latin, but he lived before the Reformation when the Bible was restricted to the clergy. Isn't it wonderful that today we can have a Bible? In fact, I'm sure many of you own several copies in your home today. May we never take that for granted. He lived at a time where that was not the case. And so he had never read it in depth. One day a friend who was a priest gave him a copy of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he studied them in full and in the original language for the first time. Lenacre thought for a while, and he handed them back to the priest with the remark, Either these are not the Gospels, or we are not Christians. You see, without careful reading and application of everything that's written in the Word of God, everything that's written in the Bible, we can wind up living an inauthentic faith, hold to nominal beliefs, and become cultural Christians. But as we'll find in our passage from Revelation this morning, the church is called to authenticity. We're continuing our series on the resistance, the church, and its mission, because what we want to do is look at taking the church back to Jesus so that we can move forward and on with God. That's our goal. And so to do this, we're examining passages of Scripture where Jesus talks about the church. We started with John in the wilderness on the island of Patmos, where the risen Jesus provides seven letters to the churches in modern-day Turkey. And our next stop, it was by way of boat, we traveled to Ephesus, a harbor town, an important coastal city where Paul ministered for over two years, widely spreading the message of Jesus throughout Asia Minor. From 1 John 4, here's what we discovered, that to love like God is a visible expression of him to the world. We then traveled 40 miles north to the city of Smyrna, the church called to suffer. We looked at Romans chapter 5 to learn our assignment as the church is not to rid the world of suffering. Our calling is to rejoice in it. I don't know if you've been watching the news at all this week, but there came a legislation in Russia that the Christian church can no longer evangelize there. I can tell you, the Christian church will continue to evangelize there. But we know that in doing so, they're going to face some hardships. So they need to embrace that truth that the church is called to suffer. We headed to Pergamum and examined Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 15 to discover to be like Jesus, you must speak truth in love. If you're in a connect group, you had opportunity to join us last week on our last stop by way of video, inland to the city of Thyatira. If you're not in a connect group, you can find the message on our YouTube channel. Simply pull up YouTube and search for CPC TV. You can find the message there or go on to iTunes and search for Connection Point Podcast. We're in both places. But in this message, we talked about the need for every believer to renew their mind, that this was the church that's called to holiness. And we walked through five steps that's necessary for this to occur. The first thing is realizing you need help. You have to start there. If you don't realize you need help, you don't realize you need God, then you can't renew your mind in him. 
Second thing is, is to recognize the emotion is inconsistent with the character of Christ. We know the Holy Spirit helps us with this. All of a sudden he says, you know that thought you had, that emotion you're experiencing? That's not Christ-like character. So we have to recognize it's not like him. The next thing is, is renouncing it. Saying, Lord, take this from me. I don't want to act in this manner. I don't want to think these thoughts. The next thing is to release it to him. And the last thing is then you can experience that renewed mind. And now this morning we're going to turn our attention to the fifth letter, the letter to the church in Sardis. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do. <laughs> if you don't have a Bible this morning, we do have Bibles underneath the uh, chair back in front of you. We, we put those underneath the seat, so you're welcome to pick up a Bible. We're going to read through a passage of Scripture. If you don't have uh, a Bible, feel free to take that one home with you as a gift from the church. And so we're going to be reading from Revelation chapter 3 this morning. I'm also going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We appreciate the fact that God gave his word to us, so we simply stand out of reverence for it. And so we're going to pick up from where we left off in Revelation chapter 2. So we finished Revelation chapter 2 with the church in Thyatira. So now we're jumping into Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to read the first six verses of Revelation chapter 3. The message given to the church in Sardis is important for our church today. So Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk in white with me, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to the churches. Amen. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So now from Thyatira, the church we left off, the church called the Holiness, we head approximately 30 miles south to the important city of Sardis, a city settled before the Trojan War as early as 1400 B.C. So as we're traveling with these letters, what's important, and the reason they were written in the order they were, is it followed a postal route. So when John sent those letters to Ephesus, they could travel a road north to Smyrna, then up to Pergamum, down to Thyatira, and now we're down into Sardis. And then, it will, of course, we'll continue from there to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. The location made Sardis a world-class trade center, one trade being the wool industry. Now, many of these ancient cities were built on what's called an Acropolis, a settlement built on an area of elevated ground for easier defense. So you'll see this in the next picture, that Sardis had a very defendable Acropolis. And you're going to find it in the background here of the ruins in the Temple of Artemis. Alongside this temple is a Christian church built sometime between 300 and 400 AD. So if you look at the first picture, the Acropolis is that area right to the left of those pillars. So that's where the city originally was built, and it was a very defendable place in case they were attacked. The Acropolis was formerly the site of the original city. It rose 800 feet above the north section of Sardis. The steep rock-faced walls made the place seem impregnable. You'll also see the city contained a large ancient synagogue. So Shelley and the kids are standing in the courtyard of the synagogue. It really was a, a beautiful structure. 
So this lets us know that the Jewish community had good standing here. You'll also see the city contained, uh, as we talked last week, you know what, a couple of weeks ago, I talked briefly about Christian atheists as we talked about the church, um, the church in Pergamum. Uh, so briefly, in fact, Shelley told me I needed to better explain what I meant by Christian atheist. I always appreciate her feedback. Very simply, a Christian atheist is a person who claims there is a God, but lives in such a way as though he doesn't exist. People who come to church on Sunday, walk away unchanged, and go about life as though God is not a part of their life. They're content to carry on as a good person, living a good, comfortable life, paying their bills, watching TV, farming their land, and nothing makes them look different than their neighbor who never darkens the door of a church. If a person has really experienced Jesus, if you have truly encountered the spirit of the living God, other things do not appeal as they used to. You look different than your unchurched counterpart in our world. If a, when you have met Jesus, you should have an insatiable desire for an ever-increasing knowledge and experience with him. Like the Emmaus Road travelers who encountered Jesus after the resurrection, your heart will burn within you as you read scriptures and learn more about Jesus. You'll want to be right with God and others. You will want to be in church with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You will want to help your neighbor. You will want to see the name of Jesus made famous throughout the earth. So here's some things to consider. You might be a Christian atheist if you've never led another person into a relationship with Jesus and you have no desire to do so. You could be a Christian atheist if when you see a person who's different from yourself, you automatically look down on them. You don't like them. You might be a Christian atheist if you have no desire to read your Bible or spend time in prayer outside of this building. What I know is, is that there are Christian atheists in every church. There are some in Connection Point. But the reason I talk about it is going back to that understanding of renewing your mind. You can't change that unless you understand that that's where you're at. So if you can say and begin to examine that honest reflection and say, you know what, I might be there, you can then begin to change. So I never end with the bad news. I'm always going to go to the good news. The good news is you don't have to stay there. You don't have to remain a Christian atheist. So you need to ask yourself, does the way I live match up with Scripture? Do my neighbors know I follow Jesus? If not, I'd encourage you to start living authentic faith today. Jesus tells the church in Sardis, a church full of Christian atheists, to wake up. They'd fallen asleep. They were living an inauthentic Christianity. No one was coming to faith or being baptized in Sardis. The church was simply doing religious activities. It loved form and systems more than it loved Jesus. <clears throat> the people were born into faith and likely living the faith of their parents. The people in the church were consumers, not contributors. The Christians possessed material wealth and retained an appearance of being alive, but they were actually dead. They no longer depended on the Holy Spirit or performed ventures of faith. Like the fig tree of Mark eleven twenty. they had leaves, but no fruit. They were not acting much like Jesus. The church was in danger of fulfilling some of the scariest verses in the Bible. I don't know if you've read these. Matthew 7, if you want to turn there, they're not going to be on the screen. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, here's what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those are the verses that keep pastors up at night. Because what it says is this. There are people in your church who know me by name, but really have not taken me into their heart. You've got to be careful. Not everyone attending this church is ready for heaven. Only those who bear authentic faith as a child of God. And for some, you may need to wake up to gain an authentic faith. The church in Sardis is an example of churches depending on past experiences. Churches should be thankful for the past, but looking to the future. Every faith community should build its future with the same passion that created its heritage. Past history should challenge present endeavors. Connection Point's future should be built with the same passion that it was founded upon. We don't live in the rearview mirror. If you do, just like driving your car, you can wind up in an accident. We live looking out the windshield over the horizon, knowing that God is directing the future. I was going through Connect Cards the past few weeks, and I have to tell you, something interesting has been happening as we've made this shift in the way that we're collecting information. I've been working with the staff and talking with them about our need to create capacity and extend our reach, and part of that is creating systems and organizational structure to do a better job of following up with people. Our, our heart is to create a limitless environment for God to do everything that he wants to do through the church. We don't want to stand in the way because of the way that we've set things up. And so what we have found is we know that God's desire is that none should perish. We see this in scripture. And we have thousands of people outside these walls that don't have a relationship with Jesus. But the way it works is God will only bring into your doors what you have capacity to handle. So we've been doing a lot of work to create a different way in the way that we're trying to set things up and encourage people and follow up with them. We've changed our format for Sunday morning prayer. We want to be praying, Lord, draw people into your church that they might experience you. We pray against the enemy, his works and their effects. We don't want anything to stop people from coming through these doors. And as we have done this with great intentionality to say, Holy Spirit, do your work in this place. Lord, we want to create an environment where we're not limiting what you want to do. It's been neat to see, you know, the first couple of months as we looked at Connect Cards, we always follow up with those. People, it asks, how did you hear about the church? Most often we were seeing the website or maybe friend and family. But now as we've made these changes, as we with greater intentionality are saying, Lord, we want to be your church built upon your foundation. We want to do things well in your name and provide follow-up. Two things are happening. Number one, people are asking, how can I find more information on what it means to become a follower of Christ? How could I become a member of the church? How can I get answers on what it means to be baptized in his Holy Spirit? And the cool thing is people are asking, as we ask, how have you heard about the church? More often it's, I was driving by. I've been driving by for years and just decided to come. Riding by on my bicycle, walking by. But let me ask you, what's drawing people to the church? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will build his church. It's our job simply to create an environment where he can do what he wants to do. Isn't that incredible? I love when God is in charge and we're not. I love when I yoke myself to Jesus because it's his responsibility to build the church. It's not mine. I'm simply tasked and given the charge to build the body up, to be working in his name, and Jesus does the rest. So the question is, how do we live fully awake in response to that video? How do we live through the windshield and not the rearview mirror? How do we live in authentic faith for a lifetime? Jesus gives the answer in the form of a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit the third member of the Trinity. The greatest gift believers are given and can ever receive is the Spirit 
of God. He enters our human personality and changes us from within. He fills us with love, joy, and peace. He subdues our passions and transforms our character into the likeness of Christ. Today, there is no man-made temple in which God dwells. Instead, his temple is his people. He inhabits both the individual believer and the Christian community. This is how his glory will fill the whole earth. When Jesus admonishes the church in Sardis to wake up, to regain an authentic faith, he's calling them back to life in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit who breathes life into our worship gatherings and restores life to those lacking genuine faith. He fills us with his vital presence, and our work, our worship, our witness are all marvelously transformed. Scripture instructs us to pray in the Spirit, to preach in the Spirit, to worship in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. The Spirit of God brings life where there is death, authenticity where there is inauthentic faith. Believers are to be continually filled with the Spirit. This is our New Testament drive. And here's what Scripture tells us. God desires to empower every believer for the good of the church to be a witness to the world. We're to be filled with the Spirit to display spiritual gifts, to be empowered to change the world. Paul talks about these spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, so I want to look at those for a moment. Here's what he writes. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So why are we given the Spirit? For what reason? For the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So here's the first point. God empowers every believer for the good of the church by giving every believer every gift. Jews have historically been known as people of the book. And as New Testament Christians, here's my challenge. You need to be a person of the word. More specifically, a person of every word in the Bible. And this passage is a great example. I want to read this passage from two different versions so you can kind of see what I'm looking at here. The first one we read is from the ESV. It says, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. Let me ask, who does God empower with these varieties of activities? Everyone. Now let's look at the NIV. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. It's the same verse, different translation. Helps us to emphasize what's happening here. So, let me ask. Does God work some of these expressions in all of the people? Nope. Does he work all of the expressions in only some special people? Nope. He works all of the effects in all of the people. Acts 27 records an early church testimony of three Holy Spirit manifestations occurring while Paul is on a trip to Rome. I don't know if you've thought about this. He gives an utterance of knowledge was given to not set sail from a certain harbor, and this was not heeded by the ship's captain. And then in the midst of the storm, prophecy was given about no loss of life. And then the last one, an utterance of wisdom came for shipmates and passengers to eat and strengthen themselves for what was about to happen. So three different manifestations on three separate occasions came through 
the same person. It's absolutely foundational to understand this when it comes to being naturally supernatural. As you put your faith in God and become baptized in his spirit, you are equipped with divine wisdom, words of knowledge, exceptional faith, hands of healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, the gift of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues according to the situation at hand. And this is what's important. So we have opportunity for all of these gifts, but according to the situation, we have need of them. So if you're new to Connection Point, as in you've been attending only the last few months, here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. I'd like to encourage you to go back and watch or listen to a couple of messages I shared actually all the way back in January. The first is a message from January 10th from our Live Like It Matters series entitled Live Like It Matters Empowered. And the second was a mini message I gave on January 31st about being naturally supernatural. Both of these messages are foundational in understanding the role of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, in a believer's life today. You can find them on our YouTube channel at CPC TV, on our iTunes podcast, as I mentioned, by going to Connection Point Podcast. And if you follow us on our Facebook page, I had uh, Pastor Jennifer put some links to those messages, so it's an easy way to find those as well. Otherwise, here's the reasons. I want to build upon those two messages that I shared earlier this year. So again, if you haven't heard them, please go back and listen to them. You'll understand the context of this message better. In the first message I shared on the third member of the Trinity, we found that your life can count by being empowered by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every person who makes a decision to follow Jesus is given the Holy Spirit. You receive that upon salvation. He's our counselor, our advocate, our guide in living a well-lived, Jesus-centered life. New Testament believers then seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit out of a hunger, a longing for greater spiritual intimacy with God, and out of a desire for greater spiritual power from God. It's important to know there's a purpose behind the investment of power in our lives. This is vital. The baptism isn't just something for us, but it's meant to be something that goes through us. If you've been seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit for yourself, but really don't have intention of it being something to be used for the building up of his body, the church, or to go out and to be on mission for him, then I do question whether or not Jesus will baptize you in the Spirit. To receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you must desire it to be used to further the kingdom of God in your life and in the lives of those around you. We also find in the Bible the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit has expressed in the public worship gathering. We talked about that. This information, if you're new here, there's a booklet in your seat back. It's called Naturally Supernatural. I encourage you to take that and read that. The information on that can be found there. And here's the thing is we don't want to be dead like the church in Sardis. It says, look, you're dead. You need to wake up. But we also don't want to be crazy supernatural, misusing the gifts as the church in Corinth was. This is the church that Paul is talking to. Why? Because neither one advances the kingdom of God, which is the mission of the church and the purpose of spiritual gifts. Naturally, supernatural lays out a scriptural understanding of how the gifts are expressed in a worship gathering for the building up of the body. And Paul talks about it being done and decently and in order. If you're not here for that message, I encourage you to take a booklet home and read over it. When Shelley and I lived in Khartoum, Sudan, we on several occasions went and visited a Sufi mosque that's there. If you don't know a whole lot about Islam, Sufis are a branch within Islam who have a longing and a desire to experience more of God. We jokingly kind of refer to them as the Pentecostals of Islam. They just want more of God, which is is a great hunger. We should all want more of God. But here's the thing for them. We would go and visit them, and since God is not behind Islam, they're searching for something that's not going to be found there. So they, through man-made means, would try to experience him. 
So if you go and visit this mosque, they are beating a drum rhythmically. They're spinning around in circles, trying to work themselves into an ecstatic state. They'll go on prayer retreats for days, and they've got prayer beads with the 99 names of God, and they'll pray through the names of God, and, and basically in rhythmic form, they want to experience God. But we know it can't be found there because God is not behind Islam. So they would sing the song over and over, wanting to experience God. This, this drum would be beaten. I'll tell you, it was very disturbing sometimes to go and watch, but it was interesting to look at that. And what was most interesting for Shelley and I is we would watch that, we began to reflect upon our experience of churches in the U.S. And there was something that stood out there that said, you know what, sometimes I've seen this in churches in the U.S., maybe singing the same song for 30 minutes because they want to conjure up an emotion and experience with God that's really not there. That's not our calling. Our calling is not to conjure up something with God. God is there. Spirit living in his name is natural. It's in the book of Acts. It's for the church today. We don't have to conjure something up. So when we begin to pursue Jesus, we don't seek manifestations. We simply seek Jesus. He is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. That has tried to be my emphasis as we look at what it means to be naturally supernatural. So as we begin to dive into 1 Corinthians 12, what we find is God empowers every believer for the good of the church to be a witness to the world by giving every believer every gift according to the need of that moment. Uh, I've talked briefly, and, and we've been praying with Stephanie Johnson. If you don't mind to come, I'm going to find you a microphone. Uh, if you're new to the church or maybe haven't met Stephanie, she's an incredible woman of God, has walked through a challenging year this year, and as we talk about these gifts of the Spirit, and we have a prayer team on the side, um, she's been a person that we've been praying for, praying for healing, um, praying for messages of knowledge and wisdom, and I just wanted her to be able to share a little bit this morning. Thank you. Yep. Well, it's been a ride for me, and uh, one that has thoroughly changed my life, and uh, I have to say, I, I love the experience that I had. I think that having this brain surgery has just been good for me. Now I'm going to start off with telling you of an experience I had yesterday. My grandson, Jack Johnson, he uh, is an A-team all-star. And he had two baseball games yesterday. And uh, I was sitting on the bleachers with a bandana on my head and an umbrella. And I just got too hot, so I took the bandana off. And after the two games, I was standing in the shade and I was waiting on Jenny and Jeff and Derek to go collect the kids. And I was approached by a woman. I didn't know her from Adam, but she approached me. And she said, are you a cancer survivor? Well, you know, with this hairdo <laughs> and this nice old scar here, I can imagine that uh, I looked like somebody who had just had chemo and, and all. But I told her, yes, I am. But I had breast cancer back in November. But I told her that I had uh, brain surgery. And she asked me if everything's okay, and I told her, I said, well, yeah, I'm fine. I said, I had this surgery, and I had no pain, absolutely no pain. I just had a dull headache, and I had to take Tylenol to, uh, as my pain medicine. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it's just great. 
So um, this Sunday before, oh, wait a minute, I'm not done with that. The woman told me, she said, well, bless you. And I said, oh, yes, God is good. And she had had cancer. And she asked me my name, and I told her, Stephanie Johnson, and she said, I'm going to pray for you. I said, bless you. Thank you so very much. But, you know, it was amazing to me that a total stranger would approach me, and uh, she's blessed me, too, and I, I just appreciate it. But the Sunday before my surgery, Pastor Jim was singing, and I know it's not the true title of the song, but it's, um, I believe, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, from the time I left church up until this morning, I've been singing it in my head, just constantly, constantly. And the night of my surgery, I'm laying in bed, and I'm singing that song, and Satan approached and I had an altercation with him, and it's like when you turn your radio on and someone's flipping channels. He kept trying to get me to change that song, and I just kept on singing it. And uh, then finally he got nasty. He said, you're going to have an aneurysm. You're going to have a stroke. And he started like gunfire. I just kept singing, plugging away at that song. And finally, I think I just made him so mad he gave up on me. <laughs> um, now, Pastor Jim, if you could find a way to turn off that beautiful song from me singing it so much, I'm so tired of singing it. <laughs> oh, wow. But that's okay. That's okay. Um, Oh, my husband asked me, he said, uh, are, are you going to write things down? I said, I don't need to write things down. I lived it. I want to tell it from my heart. But, um, it, oh, geez, Louise, I've been <laughs> saying this for a few times. But I want to um, thank Pastor Jim for singing that song. It, it sustained me through my whole hospital stay. And uh, thank you for coming up to visit me. Thank you, Pastor Zach and Shelly and your family for being there and praying for me before the surgery. It was so much appreciated. And um, I want to thank Stacia Irwin, this nice little cap. My 81-year-old mother, Stacia, stopped by to visit me, and she pointed out to uh, Station. She said, Stephanie, that's what you need so that you can not get sunburned. Because that's been a concern of getting a sunburn. Plus, I want to kind of protect myself from any dirt. And I don't want to scare any children because this is a nasty-looking wound and squeamish people. But um, anyway, I would also like to thank my husband he has been my rock. He was my rock during my breast cancer surgery. He's been my rock for this. And God has acted so wonderful for me that I am so 
glad. I mean, our marriage has just gotten so much stronger, and it's almost like it was when we first got married. (laughs) (laughs) I truly, truly believe that I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's wonderful. You know, I haven't felt no thump or anything. I don't know what you're supposed to feel when you've been blessed with him, but I truly believe I have. My son-in-law, Jeff Ryder, he, uh, he told me when he came up to the hospital, he said, Steph, you, you are a different person. You just have this glow about you and all. And, and I really felt that it was the Holy Spirit. And my daughter's best friend, Stephanie Slig- or used to be Sliger, Stephanie O'Keefe now, she brought some food to us, and uh, I was telling her about my little altercation that I had with Satan and how I went out, and she said, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and I said, yeah, I think I have. Uh, I would uh, also like to thank my best buddy, Robin Walsh. You are such a gem. This woman was at the hospital the same day of my surgery because Tori was being induced. And I'm at one end at the hospital. She's way at the other end. And she came down one time and she found Kevin and I both sound asleep in loungers and she wouldn't wake me up. But uh, she came back and all and uh, I would just like to thank her for being my friend and, and for being there and visiting me. And uh, I think that that's my next one is I would like to thank this whole congregation for all of your prayer. If it wasn't for your prayers and God and my family, I couldn't have gone through what I went through. And I am a changed person. I am not the same Stephanie coming out of the hospital as I was going in. I'm such a stronger person. My faith is so strong. And uh, I just love who I am now. I love life. And uh, this, the other Stephanie would not be able to stand up here. I would just <laughs> feel like I'm naked and everyone's staring at me. <laughs> but um, it's great. And I love all of you. And Pastor Zach, I thank you and Shelly and the family for coming to our church. And I think you already know, but you have the best congregation and all. I thank you all again. Bless you. you. Stephanie is a great example as we're talking about gifts and that we're granted a variety of gifts. And we need each one for different occasions. Stephanie needed the gift of faith. And I believe that God granted that to her. You can see that as evidenced in what she has to share. We look at 1 Corinthians 12. We're given this list. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, another one gifts of healing, another the working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, various gifts of tongues, and the interpretation So what we see is all these gifts are granted to every believer according to the need of the moment. This is what's important to know. Because I want us to continue to grow as we talk about living naturally supernatural lives. If you were here last week, Jeff, our guest speaker, he talked about ordering lunch at Panera 
and how he asked the Lord, what should I say? Important thing here, he didn't say, should I? We know in God's word where to share the story of Jesus, he, should, he asked, what should I share? What he's asking in that moment, he was asking, what would be the word of knowledge to give to this person? What would be a word of wisdom you'd want me to share? And that's the way it works. When Shelly and I went to, we took the kids along with us, we like our kids to participate in prayer. We want to model for our kids what it means to live and walk by the Spirit and to be a blessing to others. And we visited uh, Stephanie in her hospital room. And as I was driving to the hospital, what I'm praying is, God, give our family hands of healing. Give those doctors hands of healing for the sake of Stephanie and her family. Give Stephanie faith. Give her the gift of faith. So what I'm saying is, as we go about our days, we should be asking the Lord for specific gifts to be granted for the need at hand. When I start my day, I pray over the day of the meetings that are going to come. Lord, give me wisdom to speak into this issue well. Lord, give me a word of knowledge for this person that I'm going to meet with in counsel. These gifts are granted according to the need that we have them. So each one of these gifts, the first is a message of wisdom. This is a message of practical insight and guidance directed by the Holy Spirit. Its aim is to apply the truth of a promise, command, or other directive revealed in God's word, or to express the Holy Spirit's wisdom about a specific situation or problem. Now, I do want to clarify, because sometimes people feel like, well, I can just go about my life, and I could be seeking and just asking for God's wisdom. But this does not excuse us from developing and exercising true wisdom in daily life as it comes through prayer and continued Bible study. So a message of wisdom is practical insight as given by the Holy Spirit. We have a message of knowledge, a statement inspired by the Holy Spirit that reveals knowledge about people, circumstances, or biblical truth that likely would not have been known or understood without God. Its aim is usually to provide guidance, to help confirm a decision or expose something that's important for a person's spiritual development. We also have, uh, as we listed in here, the gift of faith. We talked about that as it relates to Stephanie. I truly believe God gave Stephanie the gift of faith to walk through what she has this last year. How many would agree with that? And he wants to grant that to you as you, well as you walk through things. It's not referring to saving faith by which a person first follows Jesus and turns his life over to him. It's a special, supernatural, or exceptional faith that enables a Christian to believe God for extraordinary or miraculous things. We have the gift of healing. We've talked about that. A gift given to the church to restore physical health by supernatural means. And always, as you look at the book of Acts, this is so that God can receive glory and his name can be better known. Next is the working of miracles, acts of supernatural power that change the normal course of nature. Isn't it amazing that we can pray and seek God for the supernatural? We have prophecy, and there is a difference between prophecy as a temporary or momentary expression of God's spirit and prophecy as a ministry gift in the church. There's a difference between the two. As a ministry gift, prophecy is given only to some who must then function as prophets within the church on an ongoing basis. The gift of prophecy mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 is a periodic manifestation of God's spirit that's available to every spirit-filled Christian. Prophecy is a special gift that gives a Christian the ability to deliver a message or revelation directly from God under the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It involves proclaiming God's will and challenging and encouraging God's people to do what's right and remain true. And we do know some prophetic messages can be false, not from God. And so for this reason, all prophecy must be tested for authenticity and truth by considering its agreement with God's word, whether it promotes godly living, and whether it's delivered by a person who's truly living under Christ's authority and leadership. As a gift of God, prophecy is given to the church only when God initiates the message. And we have the gift of distinguishing between spirits. It's a special spirit-given ability to properly discern and judge prophecies, to distinguish whether or not a message or spiritual expression is from the Holy Spirit. 
I ask for this one regularly. Lord, help us to distinguish what is really of you and what is not. Next is speaking in different kinds of tongues. Acts 19 records an incident where Paul is visiting some men in Ephesus who've made a decision to follow Jesus, and they had been water baptized. But Paul recognized a deficiency in their spiritual formation. And after further investigation, he discovered they lacked Holy Spirit baptism. So Paul prays with them. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they all began sharing the story of Jesus in the synagogue and over the next two years throughout all of Asia Minor. Living an empowered life through Holy Spirit baptism is for every believer. Speaking in tongues involves the human spirit and the spirit of God. They work together as one, so the believer communicates directly to God. When the gift of tongues is used in a worship gathering, it must be accompanied by a spirit-given interpretation that communicates the content and meaning of the message in understandable terms to those present. We've seen that in our church. So the two other messages I shared dive deeply into this topic, so I encourage you to watch and listen to those messages. And the last gift mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 is the interpretation of tongues. A spirit-given ability to understand and communicate the meaning of a message spoken in tongues. Interpreted tongues can be a means of encouraging and building up the whole congregation. The gift of interpretation can be given to the one who speaks in tongues or to another person in the church. It can happen either way. So here's what I would ask. When you get up to pray in the morning, pray over your day. Pray over every meeting. Ask that God grant you spirit-led wisdom knowledge, healing, or whatever gift is necessary in the moment. Pray as you come in on a Sunday morning that God would use you in a spirit-led fashion. Use, use you in the gifts of healing. Use you in the gift of discernment. Use you in the gift of prophecy. These gifts are given for the building up of the body to be able to go out and affect Jesus-centered change in the world. Pursue a spirit-filled life. God desires to use every believer in a variety of gifts. I'm going to close with this, the last thing. God empowers every believer for the good of the church by giving each believer different gifts. I love scripture. It starts out with every gift given to every believer, and it bookends with each believer given different gifts. Don't you love that? Does it make your head spin sometimes? But wait a minute, Pastor, didn't you just say God empowers every believer with every gift? Yes, yes I did. Okay, but now you're saying he gives each believer different gifts. That's right. So the section of scripture right after this one, again, we always want to take the passage in the context of where we're speaking. Paul talks about these spiritual gifts in the section that discusses how the church is one body with many members. We all have different and important functions. We all have different talents and abilities. We all can express different spiritual gifts at different points in time, given the need at hand. So here's an example. Stephanie, she, uh, I don't know if she mentioned, but she came forward the Sunday before she was going to go into her operation. And I loved that we saw at least a dozen people come around her to pray. And here's what I would challenge you as a church, is we want to operate naturally supernatural. My challenge is, don't just in that moment, if you're praying for a person who we know is in need of healing, don't just pray for healing. Pray, Lord, speak through me if you want to speak a prophetic word to Stephanie and her family. Lord, speak through me a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge that could be an encouragement to she and the rest of her family. That in that moment, God could use one person in gifts of healing, another person for a gift of prophecy, another person for a gift of knowledge, another person for a gift of wisdom. Do you understand? So we can use this all in every gift, but in a moment can use different gifts in different believers. Does that make sense? This is how that works. In our staff, uh, we have staff meetings at the end of every month, strategic staff meetings, and we celebrate staff birthdays. And one of the things we do is we ask that person, how can we be praying for you? And we just begin to pray for that person. So one person being prayed for by nine different people. And what I love to see is God using different gifts in different people 
and it's going to be different gifts for different people at different times. So to one person, they might be praying for healing for that person if that's what the need is. Another person, God could speak through a prophetic message. Another person, God could speak a word of wisdom or knowledge. And that's the way God works. He wants to unify his church, and he does that best by giving us different gifts, so we have to depend on one another. Isn't that great? We have to depend on each other. We can't do it alone. We can't be lone, ranger, lone rangers in the work of the church. We've got to work together for the greatest good, for the building up of the body. So as we come together in community, ask that the Holy Spirit use you as he sees fit for the building up of his body. When Then trust God that he's going to provide the spiritual gifts necessary for that moment through the people that he desires, all for his glory and our collective good. God empowers every believer for the good of the church to be a witness to the world. So the way that we're going to close today is I want to provide you an opportunity to come forward for prayer. Prayer team, if you're here, if you don't mind to come forward, you can just stand along the front. What I want us to do is I want to put in practice the scripture that we've been given here today. If you came into the building today and you're in need of healing, I want you to come forward, tell the prayer team, you know what, I really need the Lord to heal me today. So prayer team, you don't have to just be on the sides. You're welcome to just kind of fill in the front right here, wherever it best fits for you to be. We just want you to be able to feel free to do that. I want you, if you are seeking to live an empowered life, you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, our prayer team will pray with you. And I want to tell you, if, if you're new to the church, don't feel like, ah, I don't know if I want to come forward. You know, maybe somebody's going to push me over. We don't operate that way, okay? Nobody's going to push you to the floor here. Uh, I promise that. What they simply want to do, what we have in the scripture is, is talked about Paul uh, meeting with the believers in Ephesus. It says he laid hands on him, and immediately the Holy Spirit came upon them. And so we just want to encourage our prayer team. They want to encourage you. If you want to seek a baptism in the Holy Spirit, if you came today and you need a word from the Lord, come up and ask for it. Say, God, I really need you to speak into my life. And the prayer team will pray, Lord, I pray that you would give a word to this person. If you want to use that through me, then I want you to do that. So we just want to close by giving you opportunity. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Why don't we stand as the music team is going to begin to, to softly play. The focus here is prayer, not just singing songs. So I want you to feel like you can come out of your seats Seek the Lord. If you want to seek baptism and empowerment today, seek that. If you need healing, come forward for that. If you need a word of wisdom or knowledge, come forward for that today. Don't stay in your seats if you want to seek something for God today and experience more of him. I just invite you to come. Please come.